Hello and welcome to Beyond the Flow of Time, a podcast all about Chrono Trigger. My name is Steve and today we're going to talk about the Kingdom of Zeal, the Enlightened Ones, and the impact of Zeal throughout the Chrono Trigger timelines. This episode is the final of three parts. Originally I had planned to do four parts, but instead I have decided to condense the last two episodes into one large episode. And I must again apologize for being absent. Life has been a little rough lately. A couple curveballs thrown at our family. Uh, We had tragedy strike twice right before Christmas. And uh, I'm back doing well. Everything's good. But it was rough for a minute there. Oh, and, and as I said, this episode is quite lengthy. So I have inserted two intermissions. So hang on and let's dive in, but first, we'll take a quick look at an interesting chrono factoid, what I have dubbed the episodic What the Hecron. This one comes from Joe, a member of Chronoverse. Pertaining to the Black Omen, the subject of today's podcast, he pointed out that the Black Omen exists geographically in relation to where the three gurus and Janus appeared after the Ocean Palace incident. Joe said, what's Also cool is that you can see how all four landed in the same geographic space. The Black Omen slash Ocean Palace floats directly over Magus' castle, Melchior's house, Balthazar's lab. Gaspar is the exemption to this because the end of time exists outside of space and time. Or at least it does as far as we know. It is possible that some sort of pocket dimension that still exists relative geographically to the other locations is where Gaspar resides, or time funnels to a single point, and all who pass the end of a growing timeline end up there, which I think is kind of what the game hints at, you know, all roads lead to the end of time, you know, essentially. I have a couple more bits of trivia here in relation to the topic today. The first is technically it is not necessary to lose the fight with Lavos at the Ocean Palace. However, winning this fight at this point in the game is nearly impossible. This is the hardest ending to achieve. Doing so causes the names and the credits to go by extremely quickly because of the speed in which the player has beaten the game. If one wishes to continue the story farther, losing to Lavos does not result in a game over. And the second one is in Chrono Cross... When the Ocean Palace incident occurred in the new timeline Chrono created, Shala or Scala, Shala was left behind and engulfed in a dimensional distortion that took her to the darkness beyond time. The Maimon machine was also temporarily shifted with her, though apparently returned to the normal world. And now for this week's episode, we will talk about the Ocean Palace incident and also the Black Omen. But first, a spoiler warning, this episode contains spoilers related to key elements of the ending of Chrono Trigger, and some minor spoilers about Chrono Cross. This episode, we will delve into the Ocean Palace incident and the Black Omen, but first let's do a little backstory and refresher. I pulled this from the Chrono Wiki. It is during the rule of Queen Zeal that humanity first comes into possession of magic. 
which is revealed to be a concentrated form of Lavos's power. It is this power that Zeal believes will make her immortal. Indeed, after the events in the Ocean Palace and the rising of the Black Omen, Queen Zeal does seem to obtain some form of immortality since she exists in any time period that the Omen can be found in. Queen Zeal makes her final stand against Chrono at the heart of the Black Omen where she is finally defeated. It is important to note that Queen Zeal is unique in terms of her relationship with Lavos. She is the only known entity to establish any sort of rapport with the creature. She treats Lavos as a godlike being worthy of worship, yet at the same time Lavos makes no attempt to absorb or destroy her, and indeed seems to follow her commands during the fateful encounter in the Ocean Palace. Also, potentially noteworthy, Lavos does not mimic her powers during Chrono's encounter with him, despite the fact that she is one of the most powerful boss characters in the game. All of this may suggest a unique relationship between the two, with Zeal's worship both drawing strength from and channeling power into Lavos. However, the actual dynamic of their relationship is never fully explored, and one can only speculate as to its true nature. There's a lot to unpack here, but I'd like to let's start with Queen Zeal. I've thrown around a lot of theories in the past episodes, but one stands out to me, and it parallels prophecy that exists in the Christian Bible, which if you've listened to this podcast, you know that a lot of Chrono Trigger does. Whether that's intentional or not, it it does. And so two defining forces exist within the world of Chrono Trigger. The Entity and Lavos. By Christian belief, those two are God and Satan. Chrono would be God incarnate as Jesus was. And his friends would be representative of his disciples. They followed him no matter what, even after his death and subsequent resurrection. Now, in regards to Lavos, or our hypothetical Satan, the Antichrist will be the devil incarnate and will have a prophet at his right hand. The prophet was intended to be Janus or Shala, but Janus turned his heart cold, cutting himself off emotionally while Shala resisted, holding onto the last threads of humanity within her. This means that Queen Zeal was respected by Lavos because she was in fact bound to him as one flesh. By means of magic or some other arcane means or a fusing of DNA, she became a part of it and it her. Lavos could not walk the earth as a human, speak to humanity in their own tongue, or influence them in any matter save for destruction and chaos, so it allowed Queen Zeal to become a vessel. She became so far gone that by the time she encounters the time-traveling heroes, she is simply Lavos in the body of the queen, mere remnants of her former self. So now that we've set the stage, we can delve deeper into this episode, starting with the Ocean Palace, which the Mammon Machine was sent to. Its construction mirrors many of the great monuments throughout history, as it was built by both the Enlightened Ones and the Earthbound Ones. Now, the Enlightened Ones were involved due to the magic required to create a palace deep beneath the ocean and for its power source and operation. And I can speculate with much confidence that the Earthbound Ones were used for labor, and for lack of a better term, it was likely akin to slave labor. They had nothing to gain from the palace construction, and many surely lost their lives while doing so. Dalton originally was tasked as overseer of the project, but the appearance of the Prophet prompted Queen Zeal to remove that responsibility from him along with most of his other responsibilities. After construction, the Mammon Machine was moved there 
I'm assuming that materials, people, and the like were transported into the palace in a manner similar to the Skyways seen early on in 12,000 BC, which also appear in Chrono Cross Dream Prologue, which I think is called the Dream Dungeon. I just remember vividly, like, having played Chrono Trigger and starting out Chrono Cross, it's instantly like, oh, like, this is a thing again. And so this proves one of my biggest theories pertaining to the world of Chrono Trigger, that the present world of 1000 AD may exist many years ahead of 12,000 BC, but still has technology that pales in comparison. Much like the Wheel of Time, which I reference frequently, ages have came and passed and much was lost to the flow of time, only to be rediscovered. Lucas Telepod is a rudimentary skyway, but where the skyways operated seamlessly and without much effort or taking up much physical space, while being able to move a, lar a person large distances, Lucas Telepod used a massive amount of energy while being manually operated and moved a person roughly about 20 feet, or 6 meters. Luca is praised for her invention, not realizing how advanced her ancestors were and how far humanity still has to go to catch up, if they ever will. And so this begs a question I ponder about regularly. What level of technology and intelligence existed in our past that was lost and we have yet to rediscover? And so I found a few things here, and I'll, I'll try not to butcher some of these uh, pronunciations. We have Archimedes Heat Ray a device that Archimedes is uh, purported to have used to burn attacking Roman ships during the siege of Syracuse. The Claw of Archimedes, purportedly a sort of crane used to drop an attacking Roman ship partly down into the water during the siege of Syracuse. Polybolos, an ancient Greek repeating ballista. I got a note here that says the Mythbusters episode built and tested a replica, concluding that it plausibly could have existed. However, the replica machine was prone to breakdowns. And Roman flexible glass, whose inventor was reportedly beheaded so that gold and silver would not be devalued. And there was a whole list of others. Those are the most interesting ones I found that things were invented and then lost. And possibly reinvented with a version that pales in comparison. So now we will take our first intermission and then start into the Ocean Palace incident.
So most of the following information I have pulled from Chrono Compendium. Some of it is my interpretation and twist, and some of it is verbatim, because sometimes things are just so well-written, it's easier just to give credit to that person than to try to change it into your own words. After moving the Mammon Machine to the Ocean Palace to be close to Lavos, and subsequently draw more power from it, the Ocean Palace incident occurred. The gurus were adamantly against what was taking place, but the Enlightened Ones pushed for it, rejoicing, claiming that they were going to achieve immortality. The Maimon machine was activated and raised to its maximum power level. Once to its limits, a temporal distortion engulfed the area and Lavos appeared. The gurus Balthazar, Gaspar, and Melchior were sent into various times in the future, those being 2300 AD, the end of time, and 1000 AD, respectively. Janus was then whisked away to 600 AD, where he would encounter Ozzy, thus immediately sending him down a drastically different path than anyone could have ever imagined for him. With only Queen Zeo and Shala left, it is presumed Shala used the last of her power to kill her mother or transport both out of the Ocean Palace into relative safety. On the surface, however, as the newly awakened Lavos obliterated Zeal in a reign of hellfire. Now, what looked like chaos was orchestrated by the Entity. Each individual transported through time was placed specifically by the Entity. It's now that we finally realize the cards the Entity has been playing Almost like playing chess and realize you're looking at a checkmate and have no idea how you got there. The gurus are strategically placed. Queen Zeal and Dalton are out of the way. Now, the entity will send his chosen two, Luca and Chrono, along with their friends to correct history enough to allow life to continue beyond 1999 AD. But now you insert Chrono into the timeline. Chrono's quest slightly changed the above events. The Prophet's banishment of the Gurus meant Melchior was not allowed to finish the mature Masamune, or Masamun. He gave the unfinished ruby knife to Chrono for his own trip to the Ocean Palace. There, Chrono would find the Gurus absent from the ritual, with the Prophet taking their place and Dalton guarding the main hall. In the Keystone timeline, the events proceeded. Shala raised the Mammon Machine to its maximum level with the Pendant, and Lavos was awakened, despite Chrono's attempt to stop the incident. He plunged the red knife into the Mammon machine. The prophet revealed himself to be Magus, and tried to stop Lavos. He failed miserably, leaving Chrono alone to fight the beast. Chrono bravely stood against Lavos to save the others, but Lavos vaporized him in a beam of light. This bought Shala enough time to transport Chrono's friends and Magus out of the Ocean Palace to dry ground. The palace then transformed into the Black Omen, and Queen Zeal reigned from the skies, continuing the Ocean Palace incident's legacy of destruction. So now our hero is dead. Lavos is awakened. The Prophet has revealed himself. The Ocean Palace has risen from the depths of the sea to exist simultaneously within multiple time periods. In the Ocean Palace incident of the Keystone Timelines, after Shala transported Chrono and his friends out of the Ocean Palace, a dimensional distortion swallowed her up and took her to the darkness beyond time. There, a defeated Lavos merged with her, acquiring her power and beginning a long process of evolution 
that would result in the Time Devourer and being capable of consuming all space-time. The Maven Machine is said to have briefly appeared in the darkness beyond time as well, though it was returned to the outside world as it appeared in the Black Omen and Chrono Trigger. Now this quote is something I was just talking about. The chain of good and bad events at the Ocean Palace incident is interesting. Firstly, it caused the fall of Zeal. Then it allowed the entity to stage the salvation of the planet. Thirdly, it threw the entire space-time continuum into danger after Shala was taken to the darkness beyond time. The incident stands as the single most influential event in the history of the Chrono series world. Alright, so we'll take a second intermission now. Kind of trying to break things up a bit because the episode is so uh, lengthy. But I'll take a break, play some more music, and we'll come back and discuss the Black Omen. Okay, the Black Omen, known as the Black Dream in Japanese, was once the ocean palace that was destroyed by Lavos. 
Now, in the alternate timeline, it was transformed into a flying temple infused with the near-infinite power of Lavos by using the Mammon Machine. The Black Omen also serves as the final dungeon of the game, although it is completely optional. And the player can choose to fight Lavos without entering the Black Omen, where the party has to go through and defeat the evil Queen Zeal before proceeding to face Lavos in all its forms. And I actually revisited Chrono Trigger. I've talked about this. In an attempt to do everything I could in the game. Every single player's side quest. Every dungeon. You know, every best weapon and piece of armor to outfit all the characters in the best way I can. And I gotta say, I did the Black Omen. I think you can run it three times if you do it consecutively. Um, going into the past and then working your way into the future doing it that way. And then fighting Queen Zeal. And then fighting Lavos in his most powerful form. Because I took Chrono on a New Game Plus and went straight to Lavos from the right-hand telepod from the Millennial Fair, and that was easier than facing Lavos after facing Queen Zeal. Just saying. <laughs> With the immortality bestowed upon Her Majesty by the Mammon Machine and its connection to the Time Gates, Queen Zeal is prepared to wait out the millennia until Lavos awakens and rains its havoc upon the world. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there and kind of visit this. There, whoever wrote this article that I'm kind of breaking down here is insinuating that if the Black Omen was never destroyed, Queen Zeal would have lived immortally throughout all the ages, which I guess she does technically wherever the Black Omen is, is how far she has progressed. Also, I think I said earlier that you have to beat the Black Omen in order. I think you have to beat the Black Omen in reverse order, starting with its furthest form in the timeline and then working backward which is how time would work killing someone in the past could potentially remove them from existing in every future timeline but killing them in the future would only snuff them out from that point on but the thought of queen zeal existing at the same time you know in 2300 ad having made it that far it's kind of mind-boggling because the Black Omen is very advanced, quite possibly the most advanced piece of technology couple, you know, coupled the Black Omen with the Mammon Machine to exist in the Chrono series. There's some pretty cool stuff in the future, but even the domes that they live in in 1999, you know, and then like the jet bike and the Anertron, none of all, all of that pales in comparison to the Black Omen. Until the party enters this vast dungeon and defeats Queen Zeal, it will appear at all points in time, save for prehistory. People will actually not pay it any mind since it has been floating in the sky for thousands of years, except for an imp worshipping it in Medina's park. The player may escape through the time gate inside Lavos after Lavos's show is confronted by the Black Omen. This will cause Gaspar to have a new line of dialogue, after he mentions the game side quests, one of you is close to someone who needs help. Find this person fast, Gaspar, before the defeat of Queen Zeal. And this line also can be attributed to a rushed translation. It does not exist in the Japanese version. The, 
the more accurate DS versions, scripting replaces the line with this. Speak to your companions. Some of you may well know the figures behind the events which I have seen. Borrow the might of all these lives throughout the ages. Let their strength become your own. For only then can you hope to defeat the enemy you face. Gaspar, before the defeat of Queen Zeal. Know this. The mighty Lavos reigns here. Relax, poor creatures. The mighty Lavos has already consumed this world's life energy. Queen Zeal mocks the party visiting the Black Omen in 2300 AD. The Black Omen will rise after you board the new, newly flight-enabled Epoch, but only after you speak with Magus on a cliff. The outcome of either beating him or him joining your party does not matter. And I remember this moment because when I first arrived at 12,000 BC, I could, I could be wrong, but I think I remember going in one of the huts from the ground, the snowy covered ground where the earthbound ones live, speaking to a vendor and the vendor actually selling weapons that none of my characters could use. So therefore I knew that there was going to be a seventh character. Or, yeah, seventh character. Sorry, I had to think on that one for just a quick second. And for it to turn out to be Magus the whole time was kind of interesting. And I I think that's one choice I haven't made. I have I have played all of the quests and dungeons and everything in Chrono Trigger, but I haven't made all the different choices. I have always resurrected Chrono. And I'm sorry, if you've made it this far in the podcast, surely you've played the game. Surely you know all these spoilers. I have always resurrected Chrono. And I have always recruited Magus. Um, now, I have failed to save Laura's legs. And where that's like a one-shot, you know... You could reset the game if you thought ahead to save it if you knew what was going to you know going to happen, but I can't remember any of the other major plot points where you have a very definitive choice on whether you can act or not act or choose. I'm sure there's a few, but I always seem to fall into making the same uh, same choices. All right. So, the Black Omen can only be reached by the flight-enabled Epoch. It can be entered in 12,000 BC, 600 AD, or 1000 AD, enabling the player to explore it thrice, if they so desire. Should the party try to enter it in 2300 AD, Queen Zia will be at the entrance saying that you are too late and find the doors completely locked shut. Since it did not exist in the year 65 million BC, it cannot be entered from there. If the player wants to beat it multiple times, they must do it back through time, i.e. present, then Middle Ages, then Antiquity. Destroying it in an earlier time will erase its existence of the Omen from any future time periods. That's what I was saying that I got wrong and then got right. <laughs> Due to its unique distortion with time, several events that happen in the final dungeon with the exception of the final battle with Zeal on top of the Black Omen, will only happen once, no matter the timeline. Treasures are collected only once. Boss spots, panels, and gage are limited to just one battle. 
So having Ayla be present to charm very rare items, like magic capsules, from them is highly recommended. And that's another thing I have found that I need to do. People talk about all the stuff you can charm, and I always forget. I always just jump in the battle and start fighting. And then I always forget about charging up the uh, the uh, boxes where you find them in the past and in the present, and you should interact with them in the past and not open it and go to the present. I think that's how that works. You interact with it in the past, then you go to the same location in the present or future, and that box will still exist, but it will be powered up, and you'll receive a better version of the item you would have normally got if you would have just opened it. And then, of course, you can go back into the past and open up the original one and get the normal version of the item you just got. But unless you're trying to just collect one of everything, there's really no point in having a lesser version of the item you just got. The laser guards defeated in the year 2300 AD at the outside entrance also counts and will not appear in other timelines. The only tie-in that is not linked to the final battle with Queen Zeal where you can charge up to six of, I'm sorry, you can charm up to six of the rare and powerful prism items. Three prism helms and three dresses. Also unique in this area are the regular enemies, here resembling bosses that you have fought. Once you defeat Queen Zeal, she proceeds to summon Lavos, destroying the Black Omen in the process, and transporting the party to a gate-like dimension to initiate the final fight with the alien parasite. If you went to year 1999 AD and defeated Lavos' first phase beforehand, you do not need to go through the sequence of fighting it again, as this version of Lavos is not the same as the one in the Ocean Palace. Now, I've heard it said by a few people that 12,000 BC, and I know it was mentioned in some of this stuff that I was reading, it is unlike any other place in Chrono Trigger. It is pivotal in its plot, and everything that unfolds there. You and myself, anyone who's ever played the game, you know, going from 1000 AD, which is a pretty standard fantasy starting, you realize really quickly it's not a very technologically advanced world. It's, uh, it's a world unique in its own as far as what level of technology exists. Like, it's funny to me because they have a teleport machine that Luca is using. But if they would be transported to our world and see some of the stuff that we use day to day, they would be blown away by things that we take advantage of. Of course, moving back into 600 AD, medieval times, you, you pick that up on you know really quick. The future is advanced and also apocalyptic. And then, of course, prehistory, the uh, reptites were on the verge, I think, of becoming a much more advanced civilization. And the Ice Age that brought about their destruction, it, it kind of it saw to the ending there. But once you enter 12,000 BC, take the Skyway to the Floating Islands, right then and there, the music that's playing is one of the best pieces of music in any game, especially Chrono Trigger. And then you have floating islands and skyways. You have 
magic users, actually normal human or or as close to human as as what we've seen, people using magic. None of the humans in 65 million BC could use magic. It was only the reptites. In 600 AD, you have the mystics and Magus and Ozzy and all of them using magic. Nobody uses magic in 1000 AD. And then from then on, magic is dead. Chrono and his friends are the only humans to use magic other than the Enlightened Woods in 12,000 BC. It's a completely different world. It's probably my favorite place. It used to be 2300 AD because I am obsessed with apocalyptic fiction. I have read and watched a lot from Walking Dead to The Road, um, Mad Max, just anything you can think of. Stephen King's The Stand. But just the the sheer brilliance of 12,000 BC of Queen Zeal and Dalton and Shala and Janus and the Blackbird and the renewed Epoch and the Black Omen. It's, it's all wonderful and I love it. But unfortunately, this concludes season one of Beyond the Flow of Time. The thumbnail is by Ricardo Borquez. You can find him on Behance or DeviantArt by the handle Cole Borquez. And this is the last time that I'll be using that thumbnail. The music playing during the intro was Shala's Theme by Alex Rincon. The ambience was Bustling City by Brian Marsopel. And also the music playing during both intermissions was also by Alex Rincon. You can check him out on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube. I'd also like to mention, again, as I have every episode, that Alex has a full-length Chrono Trigger album titled Time's Eclipse and is now available on all major platforms. And that's also not to undermine any of the other work that Alex does, because he semi-frequently puts new things up at a a pretty decent rate. Um, I've listened to everything he puts out on i have him (laughs) saved on my apple music i get notified every time he puts up something new and uh definitely just alex rincon you know find him on apple or whatever streaming service you use and check it out i love chrono trigger i realized earlier this year i like lo-fi music it's great if you are studying relaxing maybe even trying to go to sleep. When I'm writing all the scripts for Beyond the Flow of Time, I like to listen to that. This podcast is available on all major platforms. You can visit Beyond the Flow of Time on Facebook to find links or search your favorite podcast app. Also, if you have any ideas or topics you'd like discussed, art, fan fiction, anything at all, you can email me at beyondthefloweoftime at gmail.com or message the Facebook page. Episode 1 of Season 2 will be titled Mystical Minions and will debut in early March. I'm taking a much-needed break to revamp the series during the month of February, and I hope to return with a few surprises and changes. Thank you all for your support, and thank you for listening.